<laughs> They're right here, so you can see them. <laughs> well, anyway, what we're doing is we're going through the uh, Gospel of Luke. So take your Bible and open up to Luke's Gospel. And what we do every week is we simply go down a passage, verse by verse, make a few comments on it. And <clears throat> we just happen to be in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39 this week. And we're in the midst of the Christmas season, so it fits in very well. We've had two messages, or two teachings so far, in the Gospel of Luke. We have seen the angel Gabriel announce the birth of two individuals. First, the angel Gabriel announces that John the Baptist is going to be born. He announces that to Zacharias, a priest in the temple, that Mary, his wife, will have a child. And then six months later, he announces to or Elizabeth is going to have a child. And then six months later, he appears to Mary, who's probably about 12 and a half years old at this time, or 13 years old. And he announces that she too will have a baby. Both of these births will be miraculous. Elizabeth, because she is beyond childbearing years, and she's been barren when she was younger. And Mary, because she's not known a man. So now we're going to pick up at verse 39. And those two announcements lead to a visit. Okay? And we're going to look at verse 39. Now this is six months later after uh, the announcement that Elizabeth is pregnant. So Elizabeth has been pregnant for six months. Mary has just found out that she's going to have a child. Now look at verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country. That's not Austin, by the way. Uh, it says the hill country with haste uh, to a city of Judah. Most likely that's Hebron. That was the main city in the hill country of that region. And she entered into the house of Zacharias, that was the high priest, and greeted, that would be his wife, Elizabeth. Now I want you to notice a few things here. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 39 the words with haste. This trip was made with haste. It was made speedily. It was made quickly. Probably without an announcement. So this was what we would call a secret departure. She's not even told Joseph, to whom she is betrothed, that the angel has visited her. So she makes a secret departure. Has not announced to Elizabeth that she's coming. They didn't have... Uh, uh, Western Union, they didn't have cell phones. She was too poor to send a courier with the message. We know that these were peasant people. So we're going to call this a secret departure. Okay? And then it said that she enters the house of Zechariah and she greeted Elizabeth. The greeting was probably Shalom. Uh, that was a typical greeting. Now this is very important as you're going to see as, as we go along. It was a very short greeting to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is not expecting her, so it's a surprised arrival. And uh, this is the first... Now, remember, all she does is greet Elizabeth. It's very important. She doesn't announce anything. She just gives a typical greeting, which would be shalom. Okay. Now, why does she go to Elizabeth? Most likely because if she tells somebody she's going to be pregnant or that she is pregnant. I don't know that she knows she's pregnant, but she knows she's going to be pregnant. If she announces that an angel visited her and says, you're going to have a virgin birth. How about if you told your mother that? 
What would she think? She would know what you're talking to. What's going on around here? You know, you can't tell that to your fiance who you had a relationship with. Hey, I'm I'm pregnant or I'm going to be pregnant, and uh, it's not going to be through any human means because an angel said it's going to be a virgin birth. So what does she do? She turns to Elizabeth, who is also going to have a miraculous childbirth, who has also been visited by the same angel. So it's going to be a sympathetic ear that she gets from Elizabeth. So we see that this is what's happening. She finds out she's going to have a baby. Immediately she goes to someone else who also is going to have a baby through miraculous means. That makes sense. And I think that's what Luke wants us to understand. Then look what it says in verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth had heard the greeting of Mary that the babe, this would be John the Baptist, who's six months in the womb, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she spoke with a loud voice. The implication being that she speaks under the inspiration of the Spirit. Uh, a number of years ago, about 25 years ago, I preached in chapel at Criswell College and I dealt with being filled with the Spirit in Luke and Acts. Just the phrase, filled with the Spirit in the Gospel and in the book of Acts. Every time the phrase is used, it's either preceded or followed with the words spoke, speak, declared. It always involves, in Luke at least, inspired speech. So here we see the baby leaps within Elizabeth's womb. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to, and begins to give an inspired utterance. Inspired speech. Now what does she say? She gives an ode to Elizabeth. And I want you to notice in verse 42, she says, Blessed are you among women. Notice the first word of her inspired speech. She says, blessed. Now you've seen the word blessed before when the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary. The angel said, blessed are you among women. Right back in verse 28. Now why and how in the world would Elizabeth come up with that exact same phrase? When all Mary has said to her is shalom. She didn't say, hey, guess what's happened to me? None of that. Luke wants you to know that all she has given Elizabeth is a greeting, and yet Elizabeth says the same thing that the angel said to Mary, blessed are you among women. Which shows you that this is inspired speech. That this is knowledge that Elizabeth receives from the Holy Spirit because she does not have that information. Gabriel hasn't told it to her. Elizabeth, uh, Mary hasn't told it to her. So this is inspired speech. Notice it's blessed. We're going to call this Elizabeth's Beatitudes. We have the Jesus Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, you know. Here, Elizabeth gives three Beatitudes toward Mary and her child. First, blessed are you among women. God has favored you among all the women of earth. Now look at the second beatitude in verse 42. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. In other words, you're carrying a child. And that child is favored by God. Not only are you favored by God, but the child you're carrying is favored by God. Now listen very carefully. 
There's no indication that Mary knows that she's pregnant yet. All the angel has told her is that one day she would conceive and have a child and it would be by the Holy Spirit. She doesn't know that it's happened. This is the first word she gets. This is how she finds out that there's a child in her womb. Through an inspired utterance from the lips of Elizabeth who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Revealed by God Himself. Look at verse 43. And then Elizabeth says this, But why is this granted to me? In other words, you're blessed, but how about me? Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That sentence starts with the word but. It's a contrast. You're blessed, but me? Why am I worthy to even have the mother of my Lord show up at my house? Now, listen to this. This is all inspired speech. This is not what you would normally say if somebody knocked on your door and said hello. You say, hey, come on in. <laughs> Dr. Gosford came to my house and said, hey, good to see you. Come on in. I wouldn't say, blessed are you among men. <laughs> blessed is your son-in-law, Russell. But what about me? What, what gives me the privilege of having you come in here into my house? See, she's making a contrast that Mary is very blessed and just Mary being in her presence is an honor. But in this question, she identifies Mary as the mother of my Lord. She identifies that child as my Lord. Which is certainly significant because this is the way in the Old Testament that God was spoken of. Uh, David, in, inspired by the Holy Spirit, declares, The Lord said to my Lord, you will sit at my right hand in Psalm 110. This is a quote, this is a psalm that's quoted more than any other passage in the New Testament from the Old Testament. It's the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And Elizabeth uses those same words, my Lord. And it speaks of the Messiah who's to come. And so she identifies the child within Mary's womb as the Messiah. Now I think Mary understands that very clearly, but how would Elizabeth know that? She hasn't been given that information. It's because she's filled with the Holy Spirit and He reveals that to her as she declares it. And then look at the third beatitude. In fact, look at verse 44 first. It says, For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. This is her explanation of why she says all the things. Why did she say it? Because of your what? Greeting. It's all based on the greeting. Now I want you to notice something. Look at verse 40. At the end of verse 40. She greeted Elizabeth. Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting, the babe leaped. Look at verse 44. Indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. It's 
The moment that Mary just opens her mouth and says shalom, just that one word. Notice it's not an explanation, it's just a greeting. It's just hello. When you just said hello, something happened. My baby, who's going to be miraculously born, miraculously conceived, leaped in my womb for joy. I don't know how she knew that. It was for joy. But she then began to prophesy and say all of these words, all from the greeting. And then the third beatitude in verse 45, Blessed is she who believed, that would be Mary, Mary accepted by faith, what the angel predicted would happen and what Mary accepted by faith will come to pass. Blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were spoken to her from the Lord. What things? The things back in verses 32 to 33. So all those things that the angel Gabriel said to Mary indeed are going to be fulfilled. How do we know it? Not only because... Gabriel said it because Elizabeth, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says it. Those things will be fulfilled, and Mary believed it. She accepted it by faith. So that is an amazing passage right there. Now what we have is Mary's response, beginning in verse 46. She gets a threefold blessing, and now she's going to respond. And look what it says in verse 46. And Mary said... Now these are the first words that Mary speaks. And most of these words come from the Psalms. There are about 15 different Psalms that she quotes. I believe she's speaking again, that she too is speaking by the inspiration of the Spirit. She's speaking words of God. Mary responds and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my faith, uh, my Savior. Now, verses 46 and 47 constitute or form what we call a Hebrew parallelism. That means verse 46 and verse 47 say the same thing, but in different words. But they say the exact same thing. They are parallel. They have parallel meaning. And you can see it very clearly. Like in verse 46, she says, My soul... In verse 47, she says what? My spirit basically means the same thing. Look in verse 46. My soul magnifies. In verse 47, my soul has rejoiced. That means I'm praising God. Basically the same as magnify. Look in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. In verse 47, my soul magnifies or rejoices in God my Savior. And so we see that the Lord there is God my Savior. By the way, those who say that Mary has never sinned, guess what Mary says that God is? Her what? Savior. If she needs a Savior, then that means she's what? She's a sinner. Okay? Now, so, the very one who she's carrying, whom Elizabeth has identified at the end of verse 45 as the Lord, Mary calls my Savior. She's carrying her Savior. And she identifies him in some way as God. God my Savior. Well, this is very interesting. Now that word magnify in verse 46 in the Latin translation is magnificat. And that's where we get the 
phrase Mary's Magnificat. And this is where she's going to praise God and tell how magnificent he is. The uh, Greek word for magnify simply means to enlarge, to make bigger than life. If you magnify something, you put a magnifying glass down on a little object. And like coin dealers use magnifying glasses all the time to look at coins and look at dates on coins and look at little marks on coins. It enlarges, it makes bigger than life, bigger than reality even. And that's what Mary's doing. She's making much of God. She is proclaiming Him to be bigger than life itself. And so this is her response. Now it's very interesting that Elizabeth has given three Beatitudes. Blessed is Mary, blessed is Mary, blessed is her child. And Mary responds, praise the Lord! She begins to magnify God. She begins to praise and lift up the Lord. And not only that, she gives the reason for her praise. Look what she says in verse 48. For, here's why I'm saying God's great. Here's why I'm rejoicing in the Lord. For He has regarded the lowly estate of His maidservant. And Mary is His maidservant. We know that from last week. Her lowly estate means her social status. She's as poor as a church mouse. And God has favored this peasant. He has poured his graces out upon this girl who has no social status. And that's just like God. He uses humble things. He uses the, the things that seem not important to this world as vessels to bring about great things in history. You know? I was thinking about Dr. Criswell. He was born in El Dorado, Oklahoma, 10 years of age. Uh, moved to Texas. Now, his father wasn't, you know, a state senator, but God used him. He uses Billy Graham, a farm boy from North Carolina. He uses Mary for his purposes, and she's going to be used for his vessel. So he says to, she says that God has regarded, you see that in verse 46? That means God is mindful of us. Don't think that you're insignificant in God's mind. He's mindful of you. He has his eye on you. He regards you. He'll use you for his purposes. But not only is he mindful, look what else it says. In verse 46, 48 it says, For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Now this is an amazing thing. He says that God's mindful of her, but from generation after generation we'll be mindful of her. Just imagine had Mary not said yes to the Lord. She would end up a person of obscurity. We had never heard of Mary. But she, by faith, accepted the words of the Lord. And as a result of that, God is going to use this humble vessel. And so he's mindful of her. And then look at verse 49. Look what it says. Our second reason for praising God. For he is mighty. He who is mighty has done great things for me. He who is mighty has done great things for me. He's not only mindful of her, he's mighty toward her. He's done mega things. He's done big things. What big thing has God done for Mary? Well, you can't get much bigger than a virgin birth. And uh, to allow this humble peasant girl to give birth to the Messiah, the signal event, the one prediction that all of Israel was waiting to be fulfilled, he's going to use her 
He's not only mindful of her, He's mighty toward her and He's mighty toward us. He'll do great things for her and guess what? God will do some great things for you. What great things has He done for you lately? So often we dismiss what God's doing all around us. And she says, He's holy at the end of verse 49. And holy is His name. This is God's nature. God is... He always does what is right. Now here's the amazing thing. Mary's pregnant. It's going to be scandalous. Because someone's going to say, well, how in the world did you get pregnant, girl? She's going to say, well, the Holy Ghost. And they're going to laugh. And it's going to be scandalous. But guess what? What she's producing is the Holy Child. And what God is doing through her is a holy thing, even though she's going to have to pay the cost, even though people are not going to understand what's happening, she's going to stand with God and she knows that what's happening is right because God is holy and that's His name, that's His character. And then look at verse 50. And His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. He's not only mindful, He's not only mighty. Look at this. He's merciful to those who what? Fear Him. Just Mary? No. From generation to generation. He's merciful. That means He shows loving compassion toward us. When He looks upon our state, He's compassionate. It breaks His heart. And it moves Him to act in our behalf. Has he done it in the past? Yes, she's going to tell all kinds of examples of how he's done it in the past. Three ways that he has shown mercy. Look at the first way. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted the lowly. Notice, one of the ways that he shows compassion is that when people are coming against you, with his strong arm, he takes up for you and he fights for you. Notice it says there in verse 50, what is it, 51? He scattered the proud. How did he do that with his mighty arm? Look, he defeats them. He defeats the enemy. Look at verse 52. He not only defeats the enemy, he dethrones the enemy. Look. He demotes the enemy. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. Now what else does he do though in verse 52? He exalts the lowly. The mighty are put down. The thrones. Now who sits on a throne? Kings of empires. Let me tell you something. This message that you're going to see, Mary's Magnificat, her prophecy and her inspired speech is very political. Don't ever think the gospel is not political. Part of the good news is that God will put down rulers. And He will raise up the lowly. The humble will be raised up and the proud will be put down and scattered. The kingdom of God against the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God which is based on humility. The kingdoms of this world, which are based upon power and might and pride, 
they will be put down and God will raise up the humble. Humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord and He will lift you up. And that's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God defeats the kingdoms of the world and there's a reversal of kingdoms. And that which was on the top becomes on the bottom and that which is on the bottom is exalted. And here's Jesus. He's going to inherit a throne. This kid who was born in a food trough to two peasants is going to one day sit on the throne and all the other kings will be brought down. And kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But Jesus Christ's kingdom will reign forever. And that's what he's saying here. That's what Mary's saying. The Holy Spirit through Mary is saying at this point. It's hard to understand, but that's exactly what he's saying. And so that's our first reason for praising God. It's a political reason, believe it or not. We don't read these passages politically. Somehow we spiritualize passages because we don't deal with the text the way it's laid out. We try to give a spiritual meaning to everything. He scatters the proud. See, that's what happens when you're proud. He's, he's talking about kings. They'll be scattered like fire ants. They'll just step on them and then they just scatter. Okay, now look at verse 53. The second reason she... second way that God shows His mercy toward us. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. Now, who are the hungry? There are people who are starving to death. There are people like you see on the news at night in third world countries that are facing famine. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich... He is sent away empty. Again, notice the reversal. The reversal. The rich, who have everything at their disposal, will one day have nothing. And the poor and the hungry, their needs will be satisfied. Now, he, she speaks of it in the past. And that's exactly what's happened in the past. We see Israel. Did God provide for Israel in the desert? If there was a famine in the land, did they experience the famine? No, God was pouring manna down from heaven. They never had a famine. Did God take care of Israel when Joseph, when, when his brothers sold Joseph into slavery and there was a famine in the land? Was Israel taken care of? Yes, God takes care of His people. And when Jesus ministered, did He feed the hungry? Now you've been with me in Acts and you know that many times I've taken you back to Isaiah and I've showed you how the, one of the marks of the kingdom is that the, those that are hungry will be filled. The blind will see, the lame will jump, the deaf will hear, and those that are hungry will be filled. And that's just part of the kingdom message. And then look at verse 54. Third way he shows mercy. He has helped His servant Israel. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. Throughout the generations, He's always been merciful to His covenant people. Now, I want you to notice that the theme here is mercy. Notice the last word of verse 54. Mercy. 
Look it up verse 50. And His mercy. His mercy is on those who fear Him. Look at verse 54. He has helped His servant Israel in the remembrance of His mercy. From verses 50 through 54 are dealing with God's mercy. He's mindful of us, He's mighty toward us, and He's merciful toward us. He is merciful toward His people, whom He identifies here as Israel. What's the basis of His mercy? Look what it says in verse 55. As He spoke, just as He promised, as He spoke to our fathers, that means our forefathers, as He spoke, and He's going to give you a person's name in particular, to Abraham and to his seed for how long? Forever. See, so it's not only going to deal with the past, it deals with the future. God promised that He would be merciful to our forefathers and He made a covenant with Abraham. And that covenant will extend all the way into the future because it deals not only with Abraham, but Abraham's seed. Remember what God said? God said, look up at the sky, Abraham. What do you see? Stars? How many? Oh, millions. He said, I'm going to multiply your seed like the stars in the sky. Look at the sand. What do you see? How many, I see, how many particles? Millions, millions. He said, well, that's how many of your offsprings there will be. And I will bless those that bless you. And he says that he's going to bless the seed of Abraham. Abraham and his seed forever. Those are the people who fear the Lord. See verse 50? Who have mercy on those who fear Him from generation to generation. From generation to generation. 55, Abraham and his seed forever. But it's Abraham's seed who does what? Fears the Lord. That's why when Jesus came to the Pharisees and He had a confrontation, they said, we have Abraham as our father. But they didn't fear the Lord. Jesus said, well, you're your father the devil. Abraham's seed are those who enter into that covenant the same kind of covenant that Abraham had with God and that was a covenant based on faith they took God at his word and they didn't try to do things the way the kingdoms of the world do through power and manipulation and persuasion and graft and all those things well how do they operate? trusting the Lord I mean, you trust the Lord, yeah, he'll, he'll be a mighty hand and a strengthful arm for you. He'll be mindful of you. He'll be merciful and compassionate and loving toward you. He'll stand on your side. If you have God on your side, who can be against you? See, we seem to forget that. And all of that is in this passage right here. Because God made a covenant to Abraham and his seed forever. Now, not only is Abraham's seed Israel, the remnant of Israel who were faithful and fearful of the Lord... But notice that the word seed in verse 55 is singular in this case. Now I want to show you something very interesting. I want you to keep your finger here, but I want you to go over to Galatians chapter 3. Now the pastor was in Galatians 4 this morning. I'll show you a passage one chapter before that in Galatians 3, which is very interesting. Because it's Paul's explanation of God's covenant with Abraham. And look at verse 16. This is Galatians 3.16. If you don't have your Bible, listen very carefully. Here's how Paul explains it. 
Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Those same promises that we just saw in Luke chapter 1. He does not say to seeds plural as many, but as one, one seed. And to your seed who is what? Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, after Abraham lived, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, meaning with Abraham, that it, meaning the law, should make the promise of no effect. God's promise that He made through Abraham is in effect no matter what happens. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of the promise. So all these people who want to follow law, 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 forget it. God made a covenant with Abraham long before the law. But God gave the promise. He gave it to Abraham, the inheritance to Abraham, by a promise. So God makes a promise to Abraham and his seed. Singular. That seed, in verse 16, is identified as Christ. So if you are a child of Abraham, and you've entered into the covenant that God made with Abraham, you have done it. It has been fulfilled in the person of Christ. And if you give your allegiance to Christ, God will be mindful of you, God will be mighty toward you, and God will be merciful toward you. And that's what Mary is saying here. Now look back at, at the Luke passage. Look at that last verse, verse 56. Verse 56. So these promises are for us as well. They're forever. Now look at verse 56. And Mary remained with her, that's Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house, her own house. She stays until Elizabeth is nine months pregnant and just ready to give birth to John the Baptist. And right before that happens, Elizabeth returns to her own house, means she goes back to Galilee, Nazareth of Galilee, and she's now three months pregnant. And guess what she's going to be doing real soon? She's going to be showing. And when she shows, it's going to be scandalous. Because she's never been with a man. And it's all because she said yes to God, and this is what she's going to have to go through. She's going to have to face the consequences of the scandal and the shame and all these other things. And she's going to say, but the Holy Spirit came upon me, and no one's going to believe her. And it's not going to be easy, but she's counted the cost before she said yes. Now something that struck me as I was looking at this passage last night is that the only conversation we have listed in the three months that she spends with Mary, or she spends with Elizabeth, are one, her greeting. Hello. Elizabeth's three Beatitudes and Mary's immediate, resp immediate response. All that took place probably within the first hour of the meeting. And we don't know what else they talked about during those three months. But I bet it was a real discussion going between these two gals. 
And they have worked it out now. Here's one lady who's pregnant beyond childbearing years. And that's a scandalous too. So here's this grandmother, and she's pregnant back there in Bible times. And everyone's looking at her. She's the, you know, she's the discussion of every conversation in town. And now Mary goes back to Nazareth, and she's showing, and she's the conversation on everyone's lips in the town where she lives. And they have this thing in common. And they've worked through it because they both said yes to the Lord. Now, I want to just close out with this, this uh, thought. Theologians identify Mary with Eve. In other words, if you read systematic theology books and you read commentaries, <coughs> you would see that a lot of theologians, a lot of commentators, call Mary the second Eve. And it's a great picture of contrast because Eve was the person who doubted. Eve expressed her unbelief. The serpent comes and says, Did God really say that? And she doubts the word of God. Mary, on the other hand, is a picture of belief. She says, according to your word, so be it. Eve is disobedient to God. God said, of every tree you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And she eats anyway. She's disobedient. Mary, however, is obedient. She carries out her assignment. God says, here's what I want. She says, yes, Lord. She's obedient. Just the opposite. God said to Eve, don't eat. She said, not so, Lord. Says to Mary, she says, yes, Lord. Eve, at least indirectly, got us into all this trouble. Although Adam's blamed for it. She gets us into all this trouble. Mary gets us out of the trouble. Amen. Indirectly. It's Christ who's going to get us out of it directly. But indirectly, Mary gets us out of the trouble. So there's a sense in which Mary is the second Eve like Christ is the second Adam. And it's a tremendous contrast. There's a sense in which Mary unties the knot that Eve tied up in her disobedience. So Mary had a choice. She could have said yes to the Lord or she could have said no to the Lord. Had she said no to the Lord, she would have probably been a figure of inconsequence throughout history and uh, no one would have known her and she would have always had regrets because she would have always said, what if, what if, what if I had, what if I had. You ever say that? What if I had, what if I had. Of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it could have been. Mary if she would have said no, would have been, could have been. But Mary said yes. And it's only as we say yes to God that we discover God's will for our life. And we have the blessings of God. And just as God had a purpose for Mary, God has a purpose for you. And just as God called Mary to a task, He calls you to a task, no matter what your humble circumstances are. He's mindful of you, He's mighty toward you, and He'll be merciful toward you. Next week we'll pick up 
at the birth of John the Baptist in verse 59. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word. We know that You call us to be obedient. You call us to say yes to You. To respond in a positive way. When You say repent, we say yes, Lord. When You say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to say yes, Lord. It's only as we say yes to You that we understand Your will and we experience the blessings, the Beatitudes in our life. 